following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Well, this morning I, I, I want to say good morning to you all uh, and also to all our friends that uh, are listening online around the world today. As you know, we keep statistics of that stuff and we're heard all around the world. Um, thank you for being with us this morning. Also, as we, uh, we get ready this morning to dig deeper into God's Word. So before we start, let's pray. Father God, we just come to you this morning. We ask the Holy Spirit to be in this place. Lord, just remove all the crud from our minds right now, worrying about what's for dinner or where are we going to do next uh, after church is over with. Lord, just, just let us be receptive to hearing your word. And Lord, make it applicable to our lives. Because your word is not a stagnant word. You're the living God. And your word brings life. So this morning, Father, we just ask that we, we take your words, plant them in our hearts, and that remembering that you are a living God. You are our Heavenly Father. You are Abba Daddy. And I pray this in your Son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, <clears throat> strange as it may seem, the message is going to come straight from God's Word, from the Bible. And it's titled, Our Heavenly Father. Pretty pretty uh, ingenious title, huh? Uh, this morning, if you would, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, uh, if you'd open up to Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verses 1 to 4, uh, we'll have it up on the screen, but I always believe it's better to hold your copy of God's Word in your hand. But Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 4. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For it is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Three, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Verse four, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And uh, I forgot to put two slides up, but uh, if you would just flip back a little bit in, uh, in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, I see these as the bookends this morning. It says, Therefore be imitators of God, as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we'll be bouncing around between those two, uh, two passages this morning. But first, I want to wish Happy Father's Day and Grandfather's Day. And do we have any great-grandfathers here? I'm a grandfather. I think I'm kind of great, but I'm not a great-great one yet. Uh, but if you're a father or a grandfather or a great-grandfather, would you just raise your hand so we could acknowledge you this morning? Wow, that's pretty awesome. That, that you know, being a father... It's not for wimps or sissies, I'll tell you. It's a tough job. You know, and, and there are many people in the world, real or not, that we can learn from to be examples of being a father. But the passage that we shared this morning, it takes us back to the, what I believe is the best place 
that we can find the perfect example. We find it in the gospel, we find it in the Bible, and we find it in God. You know, and, and, and I believe that, uh, I think, well, I believe, most of us who are fathers in this room, we want to or we wanted to be good fathers. You know, in my generation, I, I got to pick from a whole bunch of role models. I had Homer Simpson. I had Tim the Two-Man Taylor. I had Al Bundy. George Jetson. Fred Flintstone. Now, if you watch TV, you can even have role models of two gay parents, gay dads, parenting a child. And then there was my dad. My dad, uh, he was a CB in World War II, built run, runway at Guadalcanal, and he survived those horrors. But it, maybe you know the people of the greatest generation. He was painfully stoic. You know, he, he, and, and I don't mean to be harsh, and I know my father would understand this, but for me, my dad was absent even when he was home. Because he worked hard, and he'd have dinner, and this is a conversation. My father would come home from Boston, rode the, the train to the house four miles, come home. First thing I say, Dad, how was work? 18, 19 years of, it was work. What's for dinner? That was the extent of my interface with my dad. Because yeah, pretty much after dinner, uh, he'd fall asleep as soon as he went to the TV room and sat in his recliner and fell asleep. But, you know, I'm not bashing my dad because he worked a lot. He was a hard-working guy. And he did the best he could with what he had, you know? And, and that's, that's true. I, I really believe that. Uh, but, you know, one of the toughest parts for me, being a dad, and I know I'm not alone in this, was sacrificing my time and my desires to spend time with my son. You know, when my son was younger, I, we were in the Marine Corps, and, you know, I'd go off for a year at a time someplace, or, you know, I, I didn't get to spend as much time as I really wanted to. But, you know, that's not the only challenge that we have. You know, I did spend as much time as I could with him, and I, and I really loved being with him. And I still do today, though he can make me crazy. Uh, but then I was left a lot of times with, challenge, with this challenge. It was like, okay, what now? I spent time with him, I talked to him, but what now? You know, and it's like when we become fathers, all the memories of ourselves actually being kids go away. You know, I, <laughs> my son would... He called me a dinosaur because, you know, I didn't remember. I, I do now, but you know, I don't remember sharing with him what it was like to be a kid. Uh, because, you know, we, we haven't got a clue on what to do when we're alone with our own kids, you know. So I found myself saying to myself a lot, what do you want to do, Patrick? Like, I'd leave him the decision, Right. And that doesn't sound like leading to me. You know, I was the spiritual head of the family. I was the dad. I was the guy. And I'm 
saying, okay, son, what do you want to do? And, you know, and like I said, I didn't have the best role model as a father. And even back in the day, you know, I really didn't know God as a heavenly father. And, you know, I looked all over the place. I, I looked for teachers, male teachers, who I could use as role models. I used my, my friend, my best friend's parents. And, and so when I had a son, I was basically making it up from the best of what I saw, which wasn't really great to begin with. And if we're honest, guys, um, how many of us saw this pattern? I said pattern. She always kids me because I say pattern, but it's pattern. As fathers, and we find ourselves kind of repeating it over and over again. We do things by rote. You know, a father works hard to provide for the stuff for his family. Aren't we told that, guys? We work hard to provide stuff for the family. But often, don't you, we find that that can kind of be an excuse, too, where we get more focused on being busy than spending time being an example. I think in my life, what I really did was I wanted to work for my own satisfaction. I, it was my self-worth. It's how I pinned everything I belonged. I worked hard. And sometimes... I even used it to avoid being a parent at times. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I don't think there's any bad intent. I, I really didn't have any. But rather, it was really a sense of incompetence that we overcome with work. You know, I was sharing and get ready this morning. You have to have a license to drive a car. And you have to have a license to carry a weapon, a handgun, or you have to have a license to get married. Did anyone go to parent school? They didn't give me one. I didn't get the option. You know, I get a bunch of stuff saying we want to pay off your student loan. I, I you know, I paid it off. Maybe they can give me that parenting 101 class for free because we don't get it. We get, we get married. We have kids and it's like we're left to do the best we can with what we got. And what we observe and what we, you know, in Ephesians 5.1, it talks about children be imitators. You know, children are great mimics. You know, anybody have a grandkid, a child, two years old? What's a two-year-old say? Come on, Lori, you know. What do they say? They say no, right? Everything that a two-year-old, when they hit the terrible twos, my little bundle of joy, Patrick Francis Michael Fitzgerald, and I said that and he knew I was mad uh, when I got every syllable out. But when he was two years old, he decided from being this little bundle of joy to everything was no. Well, where do you think he picked that from? Dad and mom and, you know, people. We, we say no, and kids model that. And then we get mad when we say no, and then the kid gets a little older and says, well, how come? And then I was a brilliant dad because I said so. <laughs> what kind of logic is that? If I told you not to do something, you know, Paul, don't do that. Well, why? Well, because I said so. Yeah, have a nice day, friend. I'm gonna. I, I, I know a little bit more. We don't respond very well to those type of answers, and why should we expect our kids to? 
You know, society today is set up so that's almost the normal. It's, it's what we saw. You know, dad being the provider, dad being the disciplinarian. But when it comes to the more complex issues of parenting and dealing with thoughts and emotions of our kids, we kind of get nervous. You know, and, and we appreciate the real luxury of passing them off to mom. Hey, this is too hard for me. Your mother can have, she knows the answer to that question. Me, I could show you how to play hockey or baseball. Feelings, not so much. You know, so maybe it's just me, but I'm pretty sure that some of you can probably relate to what I just shared. You know, it, it never occurred to me before I became a Christ follower that I could go to Scripture and see what the father of all children say or says about being a dad. So that's what I want to do this morning. Uh, have, have you all seen the movie Courageous? Anybody see that movie? Uh, I believe this. Every father should see that movie. See that movie. So I want you to be thinking with that in the background of today's message. And you know what it is about? It's about a covenant. It's about a covenant. You know, our Heavenly Father, He's a covenant maker. And, and in the movie... Courageous. The fathers are encouraged to make a covenant uh, or a resolution based on his words. And so the verse I want to kind of drill into this morning is Ephesians 6, 4. And, and, and let me just say that our primary job as fathers is, as it is for God, is to build good character and value in our children. Everything else comes from that. Character who we are, what we stand on, what we believe. And, and, you know, I think that Bible verse gives us divine guidance for doing that. Let me just read it. Verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So there's really three things that I kind of gleaned from this verse. First is don't provoke your children to anger. What's that mean? The word for provoke in the Greek is called porogizio, which contains the word for beside, but it also is where we get the word orgy from. And that literally means something with extreme passion. Okay? So, and I know I have misunderstood that statement, and I bet many of us have. What I think it means is not to show violent passage beside your child. Or do not model violent passion that would discourage them. Has anybody ever been to Walmart? Okay. Uh, it's like this, yeah. Um, I call them Walmartians. You know, because I got to tell you, some of the women there, I hate to say it, but they don't even have friends or a mirror. Because a friend wouldn't say, you're looking good, babe. <laughs> you know, it's just, just me. But it, uh, don't, you could smile. That was actually pretty funny. But, uh, but, you know, one of the things is, and I've noticed this a lot, 
where parents are verbally berating their children in a public place. You've seen it. And using language that, like most Marines, would have blushed about with their little, sweet, precious children. No wonder our kids don't respect authority or respect their parents. You know, we should treat our children. Basically, we should be modeling for them what a godly father, a godly mother is all about. In a nutshell, maybe we should be modeling emotional self-control. We should be bringing them up, nurturing them, nourishing them, even cherishing and training them in discipline. Now, discipline doesn't necessarily have to be bad. It could be tutelage, teaching. That's a form of discipline. Uh, or even correction. Because don't we get corrected a lot? Try. I'm waiting for First Avenue North and South to have that bus lane figured out. Because there's going to be a lot of correction going on there. You know, I think all you're going to need is a horn and a, and, a, and a gas pedal to figure out that stuff. But we have to be call our attention to the warnings from our Lord. So let me put it simply. Model emotional self-control to and for your children. Correct them, and then warn them based on what the Lord says. We want our kids to have success in the world, and you know what? There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. We want our, I wanted my son to have better than I did, and I think I took that to too far of an extreme, and I'm still paying for that, but... But, you know, it's more importantly that we train them up for eternity. And I believe God's instruction here in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5 and chapter 6, is a simple model of a God-centered life and to correct and to warn them according to what Scripture says so that they may grow up with a scriptural and spiritual foundation. I'll give you an example. If you have a daughter, a teenager, girls, I'm not looking at you, but I would warn, if I had a daughter today, to be careful what you're wearing. Is it too revealing? Is there a dignity involved with that? You know, maybe, and I used to tell Patrick this a lot, you know, you really don't want to hang out with those knuckleheads because there's something wrong there. Just, just don't do it. But, you know, worldly success and popularity doesn't override following God. It doesn't. And when I look at it this way, suddenly this job of being a father isn't such a challenge anymore. God doesn't need me to have all the answers. You know that? I don't have them. He's instructing me to control myself and to look to him for, for the answers. And teach my son and my grandchildren what I learned from God. 
from Him. You know, and it's, it's all there in Scripture. So doesn't that kind of take the pressure off? You know, you, we know where to look. It's in there. There's nothing new under the sun. Everything that we go through in life is addressed in, in Scripture. You know, dads, are we standing by while we live the world's way? Or maybe not quite as bad. Do we allow our children to set their own standards on what to wear, or what they watch, or what they listen to? Because it takes, sometimes it takes so much effort and conflict to step up and step into your kid's life with Christian values. We went out to eat last night. And the, the kid had to be three years old with mom and dad. And instead of talking to the child, you know what they did? They took out a phone and they played some cartoon thing for the kid. Is that teaching? I would say not. You know, where is the time to share? Teach values, teach morals, teach the way we should be living. All too often we just put a tablet in front of a kid and say, go play Minecraft or something. Proverbs 29 verse 15 says this, a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Wow. How about 1 Samuel uh, 3.13? We're, we're kind of like Eli, where judgment fell on his family forever because he knew about their sins, and his sons had been made contemptible. And what did Eli fail to do? He failed to restrain them. It's hard being a dad. Like I said earlier, it's not for sissies or wimps. You know what? We're going to make some very unpopular decisions with our little bundles of joy. We have to have the moral courage. We have to be strong. We have to believe. So what do we do... So what if we do this and the children still don't follow or honor our instruction? Well, let's ask God what God is going to do to them if they don't follow his ways. You know, in Deuteronomy 6, we know that part that says you shall teach your children about me when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise. But when you go further down into that passage, in that chapter, it says this, it talks about what happens when we don't fear and serve the Lord. It says, God's anger will be kindled against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the earth. Strong words. Proverbs 19, verse 18 says, Discipline your children while there is hope. Do not just set your heart on letting them die. Should we discipline our children for disobedience when the alternative to that is much worse? Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod and reproof produce wisdom. 
29.17 says, Discipline will give you a peace of mind. The good kind of discipline that teaches children's best is the kind I got sometimes, and what many of you did too. And it was based on fear. You know, we live in a satanically ruled world. Ruled world. And it produces many people who abuse rather than discipline. And so have most effective disciplinary methods we've, we've seen that have turned to be illegal. So to that I say thank you, Satan, for that. You, you, you know, you can't tell me that the outlawing of discipline by parents, by teachers, by police, have had an overall positive effect in our world. I remember when the dinosaurs roamed the earth and I was in school and the nuns would say, oh, little Freddy, he just doesn't apply himself. He's got great potential. There was discipline when I got home. You know, there was discipline. It doesn't mean to abuse your children, but discipline is important. What's going to happen when they open those bus lanes and we're not disciplined to follow the sign that says buses and turns only? Because you see them now just scooting down the, the thing. Well, I might be turning down on 58th Street, but, you know, we've got a ways to go. We, we, will, we will be disciplined by bumping into somebody or getting a ticket or whatever. You know, and when you think about it, God, our Heavenly Father... He's not afraid of using fear as a disciplinary guidance or a tactic. You know, doesn't God say pretty much obey me or you're going to burn in hell? You accept me? Or maybe you're going to have enemy nations come against you? You know, kids have a hard time looking into the future. The future, like, tomorrow is like beyond their grasp in a lot of things. Or this afternoon. And, and we might say, you know, don't, you don't understand this now, but if you do it this way, there's going to be rewards and consequences in the future. Been there, done that. And you know what it's going to do? It's going to slide right by them. Because they have no concept of future. And they, but you know what they do understand? They do understand discipline right there and then. It motivates, really, uh, much to, more effectively. We used to have a saying in the Marine Corps that harassment must be uh, continuous to be effective. <laughs> you know, sometimes we have to <laughs> continually do that. But we don't want to forget the first part of the verses in Ephesians. To discipline and correct with self-control in a calm, loving manner. Effective punishment for willing disobedience, you know, maybe that won't discourage a child. You know what would be very discouraging for a child? Constant, angry, dictatorial attitudes and will. Anybody like drawn-out lectures? Did you, you, you folks do that? You know, I told you not to go out 
to do this, and 30 minutes later, they're looking for CEUs because you've just drained continuing education credits because you just had this long speech. You know, discipline needs to be like this, and I, and I thought about this. You know, when a child touches a hot stove, right, the stove isn't angry at them. It's simply giving an immediate painful feedback and consequence to teach the child never to put your hand on the hot stove again. Discipline, I believe, needs to be immediate, and it needs to make sense. And isn't that what God's discipline for us is? It also needs to be backed up, though, by the Word of God. It needs to instruct. And sometimes I wonder if we shouldn't all memorize the whole book of Proverbs and have our kids memorize them also, because they're full of straightforward wisdom for, for, from God on living an effective life. The problem is that most of the world doesn't abide by biblical principles. So when we do, it may not always appear to be working out all that well. If everyone committed to living biblical principles, would that not be utopia? A perfect world? That's one way Satan has made it so much more challenging to live in obedience to God's ways, because it cuts against the grain. We want immediate gratification for things. Our children look at people who try to follow God's ways, and they see the results in the world and get the same doubt that Eve probably had put in her mind by Satan. Is this really the best way, you think? But what is, most, what, what is that that most people don't follow? But why is it that most people don't follow the instructions of God's word? You know what? Even in churches, even us sitting here, I think it's very simple. Fathers have not followed their primary instruction from the word to teach and discipline the children in the Lord. In the Lord. You know, that heaps a huge responsibility on dads who have focused on the duty and providing material things for their family. And yes, God does want that, but in a very real way, God has placed the responsibilities for our children's character and soul right where? In our hands. And I want to say this to dads. Don't worry too much about all the other commandments right now. Focus on doing this one thing alone. Love your wife sacrificially and discipline and instruct and correct your children in the Lord. You do that well, and you are way ahead of most fathers and most Christians. The future is best shown, I believe, in the courageous movie where these few men have searched scripture for how to be a good father and they're having a ceremony to make this covenant before their family and God. Imagine this, if you will, that every man in the church of Jesus Christ made these commitments and took them seriously. Just within the church, never mind about outside the church, do you think the world will be a little bit different 
if every professing Christian father, and there's approximately 500 million of them, completely obey God, I believe the world would be changed. I do. So what does it take? You know, it takes desire. It takes courage. You got to want it and you got to be courageous. Really, it's what we all need to be as real Christians anyway. Wanting to live by God's word and being courageous enough to do it in spite of worldly oppositions. It's pretty tough, isn't it? Don't we get the world pulling on us in all kinds of directions? But you know, the big question is, what is at stake? Our children's souls, for one, and not only that, but it's their futures in the world. Look at how fast the world has changed in the last hundred years. 1921, 22. It's the year my dad was born. But it's probably changed more in the last hundred years than it did the thousand years before that. And there's no reason to believe that the pace is going to change. Think about it. Someone have a phone, iPhone? You have an iPhone, anybody? If you have an iPhone, you know there's more computing power in your iPhone than in the Apollo that went to the moon in 1969. It has faster computing times, more information stored than the Apollo that took Neil Armstrong to the moon. You know, used to be, if someone asked you a question, a teacher, you had to go where? To the library, right? Now what do you do? Google. Siri, what is this? <laughs> you know, we, we, we've, we've taken the pursuit of knowledge and put it into the pursuit of technology. Anybody have the Bible on their phone? Yeah, we all do. You got a Bible at home? You ever open that up? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's nice to have if you're driving down the road and you want to listen to your Bible on audio, that's great. But reading your own copy of God's Word, making little notes and stuff, that I find that much better. But anyway, we have, if, we have, if we change... The world can be very, very different in a short period of time. Now, I know that kind of sounds like a lot of effort. And you know, some of us are going to leave here this morning and more than likely quickly forget by the time they get to the restaurant what we heard this morning. I'm going to be going out having lunch with Cindy probably. And some of you might be going for brunch or whatever. Fathers, I want you to enjoy your Father's Day. But I also want you to enjoy being a godly father every day. Every day. Try not to see it as a burden. It's a great pleasure 
And it's a great responsibility. But you know what? Kind of look at it this way. It's kind of like an adventure that will have positive consequences. And you know what? You'll be able to celebrate those things in the months and the years that follow. Ask yourself right now, what will you be most proud of on the day you die? Will be how many cars I sold or the amazing renovation I completed at my house or is it going to be about all the trophies and medals that I've acquired? I think you know what I'm talking about. That's stuff. Do you think you'll ever be happier or prouder when you see your children enter heaven? Evangelism and living for God begins at home, folks. If you get anything out of it, that's it right there. It begins at your home. So commit to that above all other things. But most of all, commit yourself to knowing and doing God's word. I say this quite frequently. A lot of people have the want to, but they don't have the do it. I'm old. I'm disabled. I can't do this. I don't like the heat. We come up with a thousand excuses of why we can't do things. Here's a challenge for you. And I know every kid that comes to VBS this week would really appreciate it. Pray for every kid that walks through those doors. Pray for them. This might be the only God moment they have in their lives. Because we don't know who sends their kids here. We know some of them, but there's going to be kids I haven't got a clue. They know somebody who knew somebody who said, come. So pray for them. Every morning, pray for those children that the Lord will touch them. You know, we have it, we, we pray for, and we have God's word for a reason. And it's just not to be inspired or to absorb knowledge. It's meant to be our guidebook for life. God's word is our guidebook. You know, when we take our last breath and everything else fades away, what will you have? What will be the most important? What will be the, the regret that slaps you in the face? Guys, we can't do this alone. We can't let each other get away with this casual disobedience. If the... Um, Worship team would come up. It's too easy to become casually disobedient. It's contagious. It's, you know, once you blink, Satan puts his, his seeds in there. But you know what? The stakes are far too high. We're talking generational futures. We're talking about being men of God who raise their children up to be Christ's followers, to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ and what that means to them. And as I said, maybe I prayed it this morning, I forget. Our God 
is a living God. He's not a static God. Static means it just stays in place. Our God is alive. He doesn't give us just stuff for theory. These aren't theoretical exercises we're taking part in. These are life-changing spiritual warfare changes. The theme for this VBS is put on the full armor of God, find in Ephesians 6. God has given us the armor. You all heard that song, Onward Christian Soldiers? Why do, why, does, why do they talk about it like it's, why would I put on the armor of God? Because I'm going to do what? Battle against Satan. Battle against the world. And you're not, it's not that you're not equipped to do so. You've been given all the tools you need. You've heard them. You've read them. What's stopping you from putting it into action? You know what's stopping you? You. Well, I don't know it good enough. So what? Read. Talk to somebody. Have godly examples you can go to and say, hey, how did you do that? What do I share this? How do I share God? How do I share Jesus? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father Lord, we come to you as our Heavenly Father today. Lord, I, I just ask that you be with us. I know today's Father's Day, but it's, it's, it's family day because a dad can't do it alone. He has his wife, and they should be a team working this out to be spiritual warriors for you, to raise up their children and their grandchildren and generations to come. Lord, if someone doesn't know you this morning as a, in a personal relationship, I ask that they, the Holy Spirit convict them. Help them realize that the only hope they have is with you. And that you're a loving, loving daddy that wants nothing but the best for their children. So, Father, I just ask this morning that we recommit ourselves Not to hide our lamp under a basket, but to be out there shining, being examples of what it means to be a, a Christian, what it means to be a Christ follower. Let our words and our deeds and our actions just show you in all that we do. And we pray this this morning in your son Jesus' most precious name. Amen. listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.